0: The scripture reading today is from the book of Isaiah and the gospel according to Matthew. You can find it printed on page 10 of your worship folder. A reading from Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths." For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And now a reading from Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming." But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of man is coming at an unexpected hour. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
1: Between the words that are spoken and the words that are heard, may your spirit, O God, be present. Amen. Thank you for that kind introduction, Fred, and thank you City Church for the wonderful support that has come to Newbigan House over the years. It's great to look out and see so many people that I've not only done church with, but who've been a part of that ministry. Um, so it's the beginning of Advent, and I don't know what holy occupations you've been involved in, but I've been watching HBO's Supernatural Mystery, The Leftovers, for the first time. I don't know if you've seen this. It's based on the Tom Parada novel. It takes… It's the setting is it's three years after the Great Departure in which, throughout the world, 2% of the world's population just disappeared, 140 million people. And it's three years after this, and how people are trying to, to get along after this, as you might imagine, religious cults spring up. And the show focuses on one particular religious cult, the GR, the Guilty Remnant. And the way they respond to the Great Departure is, they, they just stop wearing color. And they just wear white clothes, overalls. They're chain-smoking nihilists. They wear white. They chain-smoke. They stop speaking, and they annoy people who want to have hope. They annoy people who want to continue on as though life had a purpose because the guilty remnant believes that basically they have one belief, and it is when the great departure happened, the world ended. I don't know where you find yourself in the whole trying to find some Advent hope adventure, but I hope we can enter into this story this morning in a way that helps you want to do more than, well, shut up and light up. Yeah, just… Both of these uh, texts, Isaiah and Matthew, that you have in front of you there, they're written by people in trauma. Uh, Isaiah writing eight centuries before the time of Christ, a prophet writing in the wake of of political corruption, of social and economic injustice, and the absolute devastation of war has the cheek to talk about hope that someday this way of Yahweh will be so exalted, this temple that is actually for everyone, will be so exalted, this way of loving God and loving your neighbor, this way of being human, that literally all peoples will stream up to it, like like the The rain on my windshield this morning driving in. There's just going to be a stream of people coming into this new way of being human. Robert Alter, a a, a, a Hebrew scholar, says it's a moment of imaginative boldness. Actually, it's the courage of desperation. Another biblical scholar, Walter Brueggemann, says it's an act of imagination that looks beyond the present dismay through the eyes of God. To see what will be, that is not yet. In spite of what is happening in his life, Isaiah refuses to shut up and light up. He has hope. It's a choice. A few weeks ago, Jim Wallace spoke here, preached here. We did an interview event later. And I can't remember if he said it in the sermon or in the interview, but in one of those places, he said, because I wrote it down, he said, hope is a decision. Hope I wrote it down. Hope is believing in spite of the evidence and then waiting for the evidence to change. Advent hope. The writer of Matthew is, most scholars think, writing sort of toward the end of the first century after Christ, say around the year 80. Now that's interesting because when Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. His followers believed that his return was imminent. They really were just kind of, they were just waiting for him to return to wrap things up any day now. This is a well-documented sort of state of the early church. And it did not happen. Um, however, one of the things that did happen was something very focused on Jesus as a prophet. That is, one of the, one of the real core teachings of Jesus has to do, right there in his own context, has to do with revolutionaries and their warlike ways. And one of the prophecies of Jesus is that if you continue in this, it is going to lead to your destruction. This city, Jerusalem, is going to be destroyed, and his prophecy was this temple will be destroyed. Now, Matthew is writing in the wake of that destruction because in the year 66, a group of Judean uh, revolutionaries, sort of a Judean re- revolutionary faction, took control of Jerusalem. And they held it for four years until the future Roman emperor Titus led the Roman armory, and he utterly <laughs> obliterated the place. I mean, he sacked it, he burned it, and he completely and utterly destroyed the temple And for people who could remember, there had actually been a prophet who said, this is going to happen if you don't change. So this is, in a sense, a kind of prophetic coming of Christ. That is a sense in which in his prophetic word, he is showing up. And that's partly, I think, what Matthew is talking about when he's talking about this coming of the Son of Man in power that we've just read about. Here's the interesting part. Matthew uses a lot of the gospel of Mark and expands on it. Um, If you look at Matthew's version, he's talking about the destruction of the temple, the coming of the Son of Man and judgment, but then he leapfrogs forward to talk about the end of time and the coming of the Son of Man. Yet another advent, another kind of coming of the Christ, and he tells four parables that follow. Don't worry, we're not going to read all four parables, but if you keep reading and look in that chapter, you'll see these parables that are focused about this idea, keep awake because the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. And as Jesus is teaching, He uses the example of the old Noah story, which they would have all known, right? What it was like in the days of Noah, people were just living their lives normally, and then judgment came and nobody saw it coming. And that's the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. And that certainly was true of the destruction of Jerusalem, but it's also looking forward to how time will end in the teaching of Jesus. Now, some of you have heard this passage used in some odd ways, and I don't know if it triggered any memories for you, but this idea of, uh, you know, uh, two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken, and one will be left. Now, I don't know, does any of that anybody here, does that make you think about something you learned called "The Rapture?" Maybe you saw it in a left-behind film, something like that? Okay, that's not what this is. Just want to say, because this is obviously a metaphor for judgment. It's just like the days of Noah. Uh, you know, what, what happened when the army came was, you know, people, people were living their lives as though nothing else were going to happen, and then one was taken. One, one was taken in judgment, and some, some were spared. So it's a call to righteous living and holy watchfulness because ultimately we give an account for our lives. So if that's a rapture, it's a, it's a bad rapture. <laughs> Okay. Because it's, it's, it's the judgment that uh, Jesus envisions in that, in that picture. You know, uh, 900 years ago, uh, a great preacher, they called him uh, the, the mellifluous doctor, uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He's a great preacher. And they wrote down a bunch of his sermons. And there's a very famous sermon by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. It's called The Three Advents. And he says, you know, as we read this text, imagine that, reading this text 900 years ago, he says, I read this, he says, you know, on the one hand, there's the visible first advent of Jesus when he came to the earth, right? And then we have this prediction of Jesus' final return. But then St. Bernard says this, and I realize when I say that you imagine a large dog, don't. Try to think of a great preacher, okay? He says… Then there's the intermediate Advent, the hidden one that's not visible, but the coming in spirit and power, like a road on which we travel from his first coming to the last. What he's saying there is, it's really what Isaiah and Matthew are both calling us to, to hope while we live between the now and the not yet. Advent, is this idea of looking back, and we do in these readings and other things, we look back to the promise of the first coming, and we take hope in the light of what happened, Jesus teaching, His miracles, His death, His resurrection. But we also take hope in the final return, the idea that that everything will be made right, that every tear, we've, we've heard it in our, in our readings this morning, that in our songs, tears will be wiped from our eyes somehow by God's power. Things will be restored and healed. But we also, we also, we have to live with this, this reality of the intermediate advent. Jesus present with us by His Spirit in not visibility, but in power, as we try to be people who seek to pray and work for His kingdom to come, His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So those are the three advents, it's complex teaching. How do you get to the point where that really becomes your hope? That may seem utterly ridiculous to you, outrageous, you know, nice dream, but how do I get there? Well. One of the things Christians have just learned over the centuries is how to get this story into your bones so that you start to actually have hope. Um, I had a very inspiring experience this week. I was, uh, I was invited to go, and I actually got a really great seat at um, It's the Interfaith Council Prayer Breakfast, and I got to sit at the table next to Speaker Pelosi which just very exciting, and, uh, you know, a lot of buzz in the room. And she got up to speak, and I was waiting for the, you know, the, some political stink to come, a little political spin. But actually, this is what she said. She said, people ask me, where do you see hope? And this is what she said, where it's always been, between faith and love. Faith, hope, and love. I've been thinking about that all week. Because she's, she's referencing, if you've ever been to a wedding, that's 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> right? Faith, hope, and love. Uh, but what 1 Corinthians 13, 2nd Pelosi, shall we call it, uh, <laughs> it's really a profound idea. How do you move into Advent hope? It's actually through cultivating faith and walking in love. Cultivating faith, walking in love. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Cultivating faith. Faith is trusting, but it's also, it's followers who trust a story. And as we read the Scripture, whether it's this morning, uh, whether we do it in worship, whether we do it in a daily practice that we start to cultivate, part of what we're doing is really being restored by being restoried. We are allowing the story the Bible tells to become our story. Isaiah, what he says is, I believe that the presence of God is going to be so exalted that they're actually going to walk in a way. They're going, it's, not just, it's not just ideas. It's not just facts. It's so much more than that. It's a way. It's a path that he calls walking in the light of the Lord. And the first Christians, what they came to believe was that actually that was a person who is the way of the truth, and the life. And it's as we get that story into us and we begin to experience its power that we find hope. It, hope comes as we learn the story and as we, uh, you know, eat it and drink it and get it into our bones. I, uh, a few weeks ago, I heard a, a really another really inspiring speaker, a uh, local San Franciscan by the name of Andrew Galvin. Some of you may have heard him speak. Um, He's a descendant of the Bay Area, Ohlone, and Miwok peoples. And he is the director and curator of Mission Dolores, where he gives tours and tells people all about that amazing space. Have you ever gone? It's the oldest building in San Francisco, an 18th century Catholic church. Um, What's interesting, though, is, When I heard him speak, he had just come from a baptism in the chapel where he works of his grandniece. Uh, It had been performed by his brother, who's a Catholic priest. What's interesting about this? Well, these are… they're all native people. What's more interesting is his great, 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 great grandfather was baptized in that same chapel at that same font. In 1794, except he was kidnapped and force-baptized at that chapel. How horrible. And if you know our California history, you know the dreadful way these so-called followers of Christ treated native people. And he stood before our group and he said, and you ask, you know, why are so many of us, speaking of native people, why are so many of us Christians? He said, well, a lot of us come back to this place. We like to come back to the buildings, he said, because uh, we survived. But then he said the most extraordinary thing. You could have heard a pin drop in the room. He said, and also, we're thankful to have heard the gospel. Now, stay with me. Please don't be offended by that. Um, It triggered for me the thought of Africans brought here to this country, and the way slave, slave masters, you know, they enslave people and they use their religion, they use this story to justify oppression, right? So that's always true. People will always misuse and twist God's gifts, but if you know that story, you also know that part of the beauty and the power of the story is that the enslaved people Heard a message of liberation because that is the actual message. They heard liberation and it comes to us in the spirituals. And actually, they go farther than the Bible in some ways. Jeremiah just asked the question Is there a balm in Gilead? And slave people said, There is a balm in Gilead. Faith is able to have this story that is actually pointing us to the deepest truth. In the spiritual universe, that we are loved and that this God is at work despite evil to heal, to, 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 sh- to show injustice for what it is, and to call us to something deeper and more beautiful. Uh, the Newbegin Fellowship was talked about a moment ago. This, it's a contemplative year, studying the Bible, theology, spiritual practices, as well as doing that in, in deep, uh, committed community. But part of what we do in our curriculum is we very specifically, as we study theology in the Bible, we work hard to listen to African-American, Korean-American, Native American, Latinx, LGBTQ, and yes, nerdy white people as well, to, to bring kind, of, kind of bring those stories together because what we find in that community, talk to anyone who's done it, is that the gospel, this story, is deeper, wiser, more powerful, and more beautiful than you can imagine. And if you really want to see how beautiful it is, hear it through the stories of people who are different than you. We nurture we find—we find hope as we nurture our faith, as we get this story into our bones. Let me close with this. Um, Back to 1 Corinthians 2, Pelosi, faith, hope, and love. Jesus' teaching is to watch, even as we live, just like the days of Noah, living your life, loving your neighbor. Last night, my wife and I were uh, at an artist talk in the mission, and we were looking at these uh, beautiful… It's um, Silk screen, they're, they're silk screens, and many of them were animal images. And the artist was talking one about one silk screen of a caterpillar. And he said, I made this in November of 2016. Now, this is interesting because much of his work had been protest art, and the other artist had done almost all protest art. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we're talking about injustice. He says, At the height of our tribalized divisions, November of 2016, I decided to make a silk screen of a caterpillar. He said, because I realized that beauty is a form of protest. That the days of Noah, just being present, being attentive to our lives, being attentive to one another is how we wait. It's how we walk in love as we wait for the one who is present now and has promised ultimately to come and put everything right. We live in a God-infused reality with a future. So I hope if you're on the verge of shutting up and lighting up, you'll join me, listen to the story, light an Advent candle instead. Let's pray. God of Advent promise, Give us vision like Isaiah, like the gospel writers. Give us a holy imagination to look beyond our present dismay and to see through the eyes of faith what will be that is not yet. Give us faith and hope to live in the way of love as we seek the coming of your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.